0: Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our ministry when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part three of Pastor Michael's Sermon on the Mount teaching in Matthew 5, 31 through 37, called The Law of the King 2.
1: Let me say something else about this idea of infidelity, because Jesus does say in verse 32, look at it again. I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the cause of unchastity, the uh, NIV has marital unfaithfulness, ESV ground on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let me talk about adultery for a second. Um, I know these are not easy topics, but here's where we are. Let's say adultery has happened in a marriage and a spouse has been unfaithful. While that could be grounds for divorce, that doesn't necessitate divorce. In other words, couples can make it through infidelity. As hard as it is, as much as it does fracture trust, trust can be rebuilt with repentance, with restoration. You don't have to divorce because there's been adultery. Jesus is saying this is grounds for divorce, but it doesn't mean you have to divorce. Go back with me to the book of Hosea. Most of you know Hosea was a prophet. He was called to marry a woman who would be unfaithful to him. And she did just that. He had a couple kids with her. And then she went off and got herself in trouble. She was with other men. Some believe that she became a prostitute. And in Hosea chapter 3, Hosea literally has to buy her back. Some believe from a pimp. Some believe from getting herself in trouble where she was sold into slavery. Whatever it may be, she was unfaithful. He has to show up at at this place and buy her back. He pays for her again. And then she comes home and he says these words. I'm paraphrasing. This is Hosea chapter 3 if you want to go back and look at it this week. He says, now that you're home and I've bought you back, please don't cheat on me anymore and God says that he called Hosea to marry a wayward wife to illustrate his love for his people Israel who were constantly going wayward and he continued to reach out to them and love them this is captured in Hosea eleven eight, and I believe the Lord laid this verse on my heart perhaps for someone God says how can I give you up O Ephraim how can I surrender you, O Israel? Could I put it this way? Hosea eleven eight? How can I send you away? Even though you cheat on me, even though you go and worship other false gods, even though you put other priorities before me and hurt my heart, how can I send you away? And I really believe that we need to let those words sink in a little bit because those are the words of of our king. That is his love. I know there are many complicated situations, but I just want to say to you, we shouldn't take a flippant attitude either because Jesus's words are very straightforward. And you might say, well, what if I was a believer married to another believer and we divorced and there was no Adultery and nobody abandoned the other person. What do I do now? Well, you repent, and you do your best to repair things as is appropriate to the situation. I wish I could fill in all the, the blanks here, but I'll just say this. If they've remarried another person, I don't believe the Bible's calling you to divorce a spouse and go back to the first marriage and all of that. I think Deuteronomy 24 makes that clear. But I think we should be thinking hard about our vows, about what we say before God when we invoke the name of God and not take them lightly. Because Jesus' words are pretty solemn. And if we're going to stand before our King and be responsible for what we vowed to, would to God that we'd take it a little bit more seriously than perhaps many do in the church culture and our culture. I can't do a more exhaustive treatment. I'll do more on Matthew 19, but let's move to the second category. That is, vows, and you can see how this will tie to what we just talked about. Again, you've heard the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but you shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. This is the gist of several Old Testament texts, Leviticus 19, 12 being one of them. The ancients were told, don't make a false vow. Now, people would make vows in the name of the Lord, and that was actually encouraged in the Old Testament, to take his name, to invoke the name of God and make a vow. But Ecclesiastes chapter 5 teaches something important, and I think it's worth us turning there. Let's turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, which is right in the wisdom literature next to the book of Proverbs and the Song of Solomon. Turn over there. This is one parallel passage I want to show you. Proverbs, then Ecclesiastes chapter 5. You'll see... The relevance of this is we read it together. Maybe we can throw it up on the screen if anybody's back there to do it for me. Ecclesiastes 5, look at verse 1. Guard your steps, 5 1, as you go to the house of God. Draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, Ecclesiastes 5 1. For they do not know they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. For the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. When you make a vow to God, Ecclesiastes 5.4, do not be late in paying it. For he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin. And do not say in the presence of the messenger of God, that was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the works of your hands? For in many dreams and in many words, there is emptiness, rather fear God. And then he's gonna to go, to, to go on to talk about the oppression of the poor, etc. Back to Matthew chapter five. I don't think from a big picture perspective, Jesus is outlawing all vow-taking. We took vows when we got married, you might take a vow in a court of law. You might take a vow when you uh, enter into political office. I don't think that Jesus is saying in a blanket way, that's wrong. You can never take a vow in very formal occasions. But I do think what Jesus is saying is this. If you're going to make a vow, know that most vows, although a few in the Old Testament were not voluntary, most vows are voluntary so don't make a vow if you don't need to make a vow. So let's just say, let's use an illustration. Someone meets a businessman on a Monday and says, I, I'd like these goods and services and I will uh, flip over to Matthew 19 and this will fill this out, Matthew 19, for a moment. I want these goods and services and it's Monday and I'll gladly pay you Friday for the cheeseburger <laughs> you give me today, okay? Okay? And so Friday comes and the business owner sees that man and says, I want my money. And he says, oh, no, no, no. um, Because I made a vow, but I I didn't make it uh, on the temple. I made it on the gold of the temple. Look at Matthew 23, just so we've got this straight in our minds. Verse 16, this is what Jesus says. More of his politically correct sermon to religious leaders. Woe to you, blind guides, 2316, who say, whoever swears by the temple, that's nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he's obligated. So he says, I swore by the temple, but not by the gold, so that I don't have to pay you. You fool, you blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? Whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the offering on it, he's obligated, you blind men. Which is more important, the offering. Or the altar that sanctifies the offering. Therefore, whoever swears by the altar, swears by both the altar and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple, swears by both the temple and by him who dwells within it. Whoever swears by heaven, swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Back to Matthew 5, we'll finish it. What is Jesus saying? In the same way that you get the certificate of divorce from your rabbi, you do these slippery vows. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And I think they took so help me God out of it. And by the way, I, I'm crossing my fingers. Or, yes, I'll do this, and I I swear on uh, the scout promise, the brownie promise, uh, uh, cross my arms and hope to die shove a needle in my eye. (laughs) Where do we get these things, right? But this is what people do. How many times in a given week in America do people say, I swear to God? And if they're a valley girl, I swear to God, I swear to God. Anyway, and here's what's happening. When, When we stand before the Lord and invoke his name, I swear to God, I will uphold the laws and the constitutions of the United States, Constitution, of the United States of America. Oh Lord, let that be so. Um, I swear that I will be faithful to this woman till death do us part, this man. And with God as my witness, I give you my promise. Now, Jesus was challenged with an oath by the high priest. I adjure you by the name of the living God. Are you the Messiah? Jesus said, yes, it is as you said. Paul took vows in the book of Acts. I don't think the, that Jesus is saying you can never take a vow, like a Nazarite vow, for example. But I do think what he's saying is do not do flippant, unnecessary vows because you'll get yourself in trouble more than it helping you, amen? But it's, this is not to wiggle out of stuff. Words depend on character, oaths, cannot compensate for poor character. A bad bad man cannot be believed on his oath, and a good man speaks the truth without an oath. Amen? Do you guys remember a day in our country when two men or two women would shake on a deal? It would bind them together with a handshake. When they shook on it, it was binding.
0: You've been listening to the Walk in Truth program.
1: Hey, listening family, Pastor Michael here. Hey, I wanted to just take a moment to celebrate something that the Lord has done, and He's done it through you, those of you who pray, those of you who give. We are now adding a radio station in San Diego. It is 106.1 FM and 1210 AM K-Praise, and we are now adding a morning drive time at 5 AM Monday through Friday, and we're going to be on Sunday mornings at 6.30 AM. And we are so grateful for all of you who have been praying, those of you who have become have become Walk in Truth partners. We've walked through a new door, and we want to walk through more. So if you want to learn more about how to partner with us, it's walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. But we just wanted to say a big thank you and give glory to God for this new radio station. I pray the Lord does wonderful things through it in His name. Amen and amen. We'd
0: love to see who's listening. So please connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk
1: in Truth. I swear that I will be faithful to this woman till death do us part, this man. And with God as my witness, I give you my promise. Now, Jesus was challenged with an oath by the high priest. I adjure you by the name of the living God. Are you the Messiah? Jesus said, yes, it is as you said. Paul took vows in the book of Acts. I don't think that Jesus is saying you can never take a vow, like a Nazarite vow, for example. But I do think what he's saying is do not do flippant, unnecessary vows because you'll get yourself in trouble more than it helping you, amen? But it's, this is not to wiggle out of stuff. Words depend on character. Oaths cannot compensate for poor character. A bad, bad man cannot be believed on his oath, and a good man speaks the truth without an oath, amen? Do you guys remember a day in our country when two men or two women would shake on a deal? It would bind them together with a handshake, When they shook on it, it was binding. I will do what I committed to do. Now we have 3,700 page contracts. Have you ever bought something and you're initialing pages, you have no idea. You just signed your children away to the third and fourth generation. (laughs) You're like, I don't care anymore. (laughs) right? So you say, well, Pastor Michael, what is Jesus saying then about this topic? Well, take a look. 36 and 37 nor shall you make an oath by your head God created your head he created Jerusalem etc you cannot make one hair white or black do you know that some of the church fathers believe that that verse outlaws hair dye so if you've been on aisle 17 I don't know if it's aisle 17 or not and you got some of that stuff to put a little bit here and a little bit here you're a sinner no just kidding (laughs) you're like what? I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. (laughs) Now you can make your hair white with stress and you can make it black with the right kind of dye. But all that is is a cover up (laughs) except for the white hairs by stress. So here's how Jesus sums it up. He says, but let your statement be yes, yes or no, no. Anything beyond these is uh, of evil. And remember, he is targeting the scribes and Pharisees who are making all kinds of foul, false vows and finding ways to wiggle around the truth with religious-looking stuff. Let your yes be yes. You say yes to some, something, you're a citizen of the kingdom, then do it. Amen? You say, I'm going to be at this place at this time, then do it. If you're two minutes late, there is forgiveness in Christ. Thank God for that. But let your yes be yes. If you say you're going to do something, kingdom priorities say do it, because it reflects our king, who is always true to his word. Amen? Let me add something else. It hit me last night. We don't talk about this much, but how about your no being no? No. If you say no to something like, I'm not going to do that anymore or I'm not going to let that consume me anymore, or, I'm not going to talk like that anymore or treat you like that anymore, then let your no be no. Titus 2 says, the grace of God teaches us to say no, 12, to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Jesus says, let your yes be yes, let your no be no, some translations say anything else is of the evil one. It could be abstract, it could be personal, but here's the point. The, the original language allows for the evil one being the enemy who's a deceiver and the father of what? Lies. So we belong to a kingdom of truth and our king says, I want you to be the kind of people that when you say yes, it's yes, and when you say no, it's no. Now, we all realize that we need all the grace we can get, amen? We come to the end of another of Jesus' teaching and realize how much we need grace. But the, the God who justifies us, who fulfilled the law, is the God who sanctifies us. And he's given us his Holy Spirit so that we can walk out what he's called us to do. You don't have to do this on your own, amen? It's the power of the Spirit Sanctifying us, making more like us more like our king that gives us the power to do this. Father. oh, there's been a lot here, and I thank you for the patience of your people, and I thank you for everybody trying to be as tuned in as possible and, and put their thinking caps on. And Lord, we, we want to do a good job with reflecting what you had to say, the context, the background, trying to piece Scripture with Scripture. These are some tough topics, and, and I realize that, but I pray that your grace would flow to your people. We realize that you came for a reason because we've fallen short of these things. We, we thank you for fulfilling the sacrificial system and the moral law, but we know we have a responsibility nonetheless to reflect our King with the things that you say are important, Lord. And it it is, I suppose, the the responsibility of every Christian generation to wrestle with these things and see what our king has to say and then to obey you. For when we call you Lord, we're saying that you're a master. When we call you Messiah, we're saying that you're the king. And so help us be people who, when we say Jesus is Lord, do our best by God's power to walk that out. We all have a long way to go. I have a long way to go, Lord. Thank you for your patience with me, with your people. Thank you for your love, which endures forever. Would you help us in these areas where we might have hurt or even confusion? I pray that you'd bring clarity. I pray where there is need of repentance and redirection and change of heart, that we would be honest with you and say like David, you... Desire truth in my innermost being. If there was a sacrifice I could give, I'd give it. Something religious I could do, I'd do it. But what you really want is truth in my heart. You want me to love you from my heart. None of us want to play a game. We can fool most of the people most of the time, but we don't fool you, Lord. And for all the religion that's out there, the dead ritual, the plastic stuff, the legalism put on people's shoulders that they could never live up to. Oh Lord, I I pray that our generation would be having a true revival to the living God. His great truth, his great love, his great justice, his mercy and faithfulness. We'd come back. To the heart of worship. We come back to our king who doesn't want empty ritual. Rather, he wants a heart of love. We often say, Father, in the Christian community that Christianity is not about religion, it's about a relationship. And we can see all the more in this contrast with the religious leaders of the day, at least many of them, that that's all they had. That's all Paul said he had before he was Transformed. He he kept the law outwardly, but he he knew his heart was wrong. Father, change us where it really matters. Because when the heart changes, the rest will follow. When we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, all the things that we're worried about are taken care of. They flow from a heart in love with the King. As you stay in a moment of reflection, Would you say you know the king? Have you made him your Lord? Have you trusted in his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, that he is God in human flesh, that he is Lord, judge, king, savior? If you haven't done that, you're not sure. This would be a good moment to just turn away from all sin that you're aware of and Ask Jesus to be both Savior and Lord of your life. And know that when you make that commitment, to call him Lord is to call him King. And he'll give you a new beginning. He's already paid the entrance fee in full. And he'll do the work as you surrender more and more. For this precious congregation, Father, any gaps that there may be in their minds or hearts, I pray that you'd fill them in with your truth, with your love, we love you, and we ask all of this in Christ's holy name. Amen.
0: You've been listening to The Law of the King 2, Part 3 on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's Sermon on the Mount teaching in Matthew five thirty-one through 37. If you missed any part of today's program, Walk in Truth is on Apple Podcast iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many more podcast apps. Listen for free to Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. We appreciate our Walk in Truth financial partners. You contribute to our ministry, broadcast, and podcast. As a thank you for your support, we've created the Walk in Truth app. you got to check it out. It's available in your app store. If you'd like to become a Walk in Truth partner, any amount is appreciated. You can now give on the Walk in Truth app or visit walkintruth.com.
1: Now here's Pastor Michael with the final word. Well, as we've studied the law of the king, we know that there's some very difficult truth in this Sermon on the Mount, but incredible, amazing teaching. In fact, you know, this is the longest recorded sermon that Jesus gave on the earth. And when Jesus preaches, (laughs) oh man, we need to be listening. Amen. And uh, what an amazing section where Jesus takes the law, says he came not to annul but to fulfill, not to abolish, but to fulfill, and then tells us what it really means. In other words, he's basically saying, I had to come because you couldn't do this, right? Because the essence of the law is the heart. It's all about the heart. And I'll tell you, it's so revealing. It cries out for our need for a Savior and a Lord, but it also cries out for the need of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. All right, so you might be saying, Pastor Michael, I don't know if I can take much more. <laughs> Why should I come back <laughs> for the next part of this? Well, because Jesus is teaching, and we need to know what he said, right? We need to know what our king says, what his law is, what what his heart is. So come back just for that, right? Tell a friend about what you're hearing. And remember, if you'd like to partner with us, we deeply appreciate your prayers We're celebrating that God has put us on a new radio station recently in San Diego. Praise the Lord. But we also would love to take more ground. So please keep praying. If you'd like to partner with us, you can find out more at walkintruth.com. See you tomorrow.
0: And join us tomorrow for Pastor Michael's third sermon on the Mount teaching in Matthew 5, 38 through 48, called The Law of the King 3. I'm Mike Massaro. On behalf of Pastor Michael Lance and Living Truth Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening to Walking Truth, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.